Welcome to the Lance Lambert Ministries podcast. For more information on Lance's ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Today, we continue the series, The Lord is in the Whirlwind and Storm. Last time, Lance spoke about the Lord being in the whirlwind and storm as seen in the church. For this week's episode, we will hear him speak on the Lord being in the whirlwind and storm as seen in believers. If you will turn with me to the prophecy of Nahum, just what the one verse that we've been considering, the book of Nahum in chapter 1 and verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. You will turn to 1 Peter, first letter of the Apostle Peter, chapter 1, from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who by the power of God are guarded through faith, unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, ye have been put to grief in manifold trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is proved by fire, may be found unto praise and glory and honour, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom not having seen ye love, on whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice greatly with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And then I would like to add to that, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel in chapter 22. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, from verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan asked to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have made supplication for thee that thy faith fail not, and do thou, when once thou hast turned again, establish thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, with thee I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, until thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest. And uh, verse 54 And they seized him and led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the court and had sat down together, 
Peter sat in the midst of them. And a certain maid, seeing him as he sat in the light of the fire, and looking steadfastly upon him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied, saying, Woman, I know him not. After a little while another saw him and said, Thou also art one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after the space of about one hour another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter and Peter, Peter remembered the word of the Lord how that he said unto him before the cock crow this day thou shalt deny me twice and he went out and wept bitterly and finally in the gospel of Mark in chapter 6 Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 45. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to enter into the boat and to go before him unto the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself sendeth the multitude away. And after he had taken leave of them, he departed into the mountain to pray. And when even was come, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And seeing them distressed in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking on the sea. And he would have passed by them, but they, when they saw him walking on the sea, supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. But he straightway spake with them, and said unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up in with them into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed at themselves, for they understood not concerning the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Could we just uh, have a further word of prayer? Beloved Lord, we're so thankful for this time that we have been in your presence, sensing that you are here and have been worshipping you, opening up our hearts in love and adoration. And now, Lord, we come to your word and we need you, both for the speaking of your word and the hearing of it. And we know, Lord, that you have provided an anointing of grace and power for just that. So into that anointing, grace and power, so dearly one for us at Calvary by our Lord Jesus. We stand by faith. Dear Lord, make it a reality this morning, both in the speaking and in the hearing. We shall be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. Hear us, O Lord. For we ask this in the name of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Amen. It's a little too late to go over what we have said um, already, but it is this one little phrase, 
in the prophecy of Nahum, uh, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Quite extraordinary revelation, really. We tend to think that if the Lord is present, everything will be clear shining. Everything will be full of sunshine. Uh, we don't imagine that uh, uh, the Lord would be in a whirlwind, a tornado. What a thing for the Lord to be in. So destructive, so powerful. In a single moment of time, it can blow away whole places. I remember speaking some years ago, and I was asked to do so, to um, a whole bunch of Southern Baptist ministers in Kentucky, uh, Louisville. And I remember that when I was speaking to them, uh, they were quite hostile. Um, I, 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 I found it quite remarkable. I almost wondered why I'd gone. Um, they didn't believe in prayer. They didn't believe the Lord Jesus was coming. These are Southern Baptist ministers. I was so shocked. I'd always thought Southern Baptists were fundamentalists from the feet to the head and from the head to the feet. So I was very surprised that uh, I found when you got amongst ministers that many of them didn't believe even what we think that uh, is normal amongst Southern Baptists. And, uh, but there was one man who says shone through the whole time. And afterwards he came up and he said, don't be put off by my brethren. He said, poor things, they haven't had any experience. So I said, oh, you've had an experience of the Holy Spirit, have you? Oh, he said, not only that, but I've had a miracle. He said, did you know of the great tornado that went through here last, uh, about two years ago or something like that? And I said, yes, I did, because Mrs. Sparks, Austin Sparks' wife, was actually there at the time and when she came back she told us about this terrible thing three days without electricity and all the rest of it and he said well I was in the church and in the vestry and he said suddenly he said there was a noise such as I'd never heard and he said I dived under this oak desk and he said the whole church were, he called it the, the church um uh um, never mind. Um, uh, uh, he he uh, he said the whole church began to evolve, and he said the whole thing went up, and then fell. And he said they dug me out after so many hours, and he said I was under a, a solid oak desk. So he said then I realised that miracles were still God's business. And uh, it is so that uh, sometimes, you see, the Lord came to him in a whirlwind. He was a Baptist minister who had no real experience of the Lord. He wasn't alive to the Lord. But when the Lord came in that whirlwind, the Lord truly was in it for him. He came out of it with a new experience of the Lord. He was a little later filled with the Holy Spirit. And that meant a whole new uh, chapter for the fellowship he was leading. I, I mean, I just mention it because it seems so amazing to us that uh, the Lord should be in a whirlwind and in a storm, that he might come up behind it 
is what we, we could accept. That he might even go before it, we could accept. But that he could be in it. That's very hard for us to do. And so I spoke on the first night about the nations. Whirlwind and storm in the nations. And the fact that the Lord has a purpose and he's going to fulfill it and it will be on time, it won't be late, it won't be before the appointed time, not after it, he's going to fulfill it. But I will not say no more about that. We talked about that, that was the first night. And last night I talked about it to do with the church. The Lord has to sometimes come in a whirlwind in order to blow people out of something false and compromise. He has to sometimes use storms. And when it comes down even to an assembly of born-again believers who know something of the Lord, there is an evil day. When that evil day comes, you can't stop it, you cannot avert it, you cannot abort it. And in that evil day, everything is blown to pieces. It's all confusion. You can't see the Lord for the clouds. You could hardly believe that the clouds of the dust of his feet. In other words, he's there. And he's actually working uh, through it. And in that time, we're all set to uh, sixes and sevens. We are, we are sort of brother against brother, sister against sister, everybody. It's a time when all the eyes get off the Lord and get on to one another. It doesn't matter who we are, we find fault everywhere. And actually that is true anyway. You see, when everything's going gloriously, the faults are all there. The weaknesses are all there. You just don't see them. But in the, the day, the evil day, every fault, every weakness comes out, as it were, into the open. And if we want to fight, and we want to, we can do so. And the Lord in one sense leads us to it. I've always been a believer in this, that when you get two people fighting each other in the work of the Lord, the Lord says, get on with it. Fight. But when one person dies in it, the Lord says, I'll take your place. Then they're on a collision course with the Lord. God help anyone who's on a collision course with him. Uh, well, anyway, now I'm to this morning, I want to talk about the individual. There is a very great danger when we see what the church is, that we begin to put less and less emphasis upon the individual. But any assembly, its spiritual character, its spiritual power, its spiritual effectiveness, is depends upon the individual working of every part of the body. When you have five people working and 90 spectators, you will not have effectiveness. When you have 20 people affected and 200 that are uh, seat warmers, you will not have the same effectiveness. You can have ten people with real character and the rest are cycles. If you know what I mean. So many assemblies and so much Christian work is filled with people who they can, they're like tape recorders. 
They take it all in and put it all out. But there's no character. It is something, it is something like machinery. But when God can get a company with a large number of them who really have experience of the law, who have their own personal knowledge of the law, to whom the word of God has been applied in their own situation, at home, at work, in their own life, you have a company that has spiritual you have an assembly that has spiritual power. The prayer meeting becomes a powerhouse. And that's why, in my estimation, when the Lord sees an assembly or a work that really has understanding of the Word of God and has real uh, revelation about the church, but he begins to see people hiding in the corporate, he comes in a world. And in that moment when the fellowship we hide in breaks up or goes down or all kinds of things we never thought would ever happen, happen, then suddenly we are individuals again. You understand? Then we have to think, do I really believe what I believe? That is the whole point of uh, this that I want to talk about this morning. Um, this question of uh, of the individual. Do you remember the tabernacle? Do you remember how all the boards of the tent of meeting and the holy of holies, the boards were all individual boards? Do you remember that every single one of them sat on two feet? And do you remember that a bar went right through the lock of them and rammed them together? In other words, it's a picture of heavenly things. It's a picture of the house of God. It is a picture of the church of God. But every one of the boards is standing on its own two feet. And then bound together in the house of the Lord. Well, uh, the first thing I want to talk about uh, this morning is proving what is of God in you. Dear Peter, uh, he says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 4, we didn't read that. 2 Peter, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, verse 12, listen, I will read it to you. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial among you, which cometh upon you to prove you, as though a strange thing happened unto you. But insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, rejoice that of the revelation of his glory, ye also may rejoice with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest us upon you. 
Um, he goes on, for let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in other men's affairs, but if a man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his in this name. For the time is come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begin first at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore let them also that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls in well-doing unto a faithful creator. Beloved, think it not strange. Think it not strange that uh, uh, concerning the fiery trial of We should thank God we're not all the time in trial. But we should expect time when the Lord comes like a tornado. We should expect times when the Lord comes as a storm. Because it is in those times that the Lord proves whether what we believe up here is really in our hearts. You know, we can all say we believe the word of God, which I believe we do. But it's only when the trial comes that we hardly know where we are or what we're doing. And then the Holy Spirit takes some scripture and immediately that becomes yours. You know what I mean? I, uh, you know you've known that scripture all your life, some of you, from Sunday school upwards. And dead, it, it's wonderful, it's God's word, you believe it, but it's not yours. But in that moment when the storm hits you, you discover the Lord has his way. And you don't know where to turn. You, you are in distress. You are afflicted. But then into your heart the Holy Spirit breathes. A word you know. And in that moment that word becomes yours. I remember, I may have told you this story before. I remember years ago when I was convalescing in Lady Ogle's home. Her beautiful home in, uh, in Kent. Um, overlooking the uh, Ashworth. Uh, uh, Ashwood Forest and I remember um, uh, I thought it was such a beautiful home everything about it you know and um, those poor the, she banned the cats from the whole so many acres weren't allowed even the gardeners in their homes weren't allowed to have a cat poor thing because she loved birds she didn't want a single cat that was going around killing birds you see so she loved birds. It was like heaven on earth, really, in many ways. But I, I, I remember I saw a little sitting in a drawing room. I saw in the magnificent room and furniture. I saw this little plain wooden plaque on the wall, and it said, "My peace I give to you." And I thought, "Well, that's a pretty trite." I thought to myself, I didn't say it to her, but I thought to myself, I think she could have found a more deep word to put on the a bit later we were talking and I, you know, some days later and I said why did you put that little plain piece of wood up there on the wall oh, he said I was in terrible distress years ago I was in terrible distress 
I felt as if I really didn't know the Lord. Something had come into my life. She said it blew everything to pieces. And she said, I just didn't know where the Lord was. I didn't know where I was. And she said, in the midst of this distress that went on for quite a few days, suddenly one day, the Holy Spirit breathed into my heart, peace, I leave. I I did. And she said, in a single flash, I understood the peace he left with me is the peace of sin forgiven, which he never knew. That's why he didn't call it my peace. He he didn't need that kind of peace. He never saw me. Peace I leave with you. It's your, it's your birthright. Because he has died in your place. But she said, when he said, my peace, I give you. It was the peace he had in heaven. When he said, not as I will, but as you will. It was the peace he had on the cross. When he, he had said, my God, my God, one has thou forsaken me. And then he said, Father, with your hand, I commend you. You know it transformed her. And I felt so dreadful. I thought, oh, I'm so thankful I never said to her that trite little thing on the wall. You see, you see, it was trite to me because I had never seen it. It was just the kind of thing I saw in Christian homes. And I thought, not here as well. But then, for her, it wasn't just a little scriptural saying that was plonked on the wall. It meant something. Actually, it was Amy Carmichael who herself had uh, painted uh, the words on the wood for to respect friendly. So, I mean, you see what happens when it becomes yours? This fiery trial, don't think it's strange. The Lord is proving something. He's proving what there really is of himself in you. How much is just up here and how much is here. It's the way the Lord brings us to a place where he means something to us, where um, he can produce in us spiritual character of which there is a famine. We can run around being excited about miracles, and I have seen so many of all kinds. But we can run around and get all excited about miracles. They are the acts of the Lord. But the ways of the Lord have something on, in a different dimension. You can see the acts of the Lord, and you can marvel and be excited about them. They're dramatic. They're sensational. They, they uh, 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 sort of uh, encourage your faith. But the ways of the Lord, that is something altogether different. Many, many Christians know the acts of the Lord. Few understand the ways. When you're in this kind of process, it's so marvelous. Because at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exceeding joy. What is the whole point of this world, of this tornado, of this storm? 
It is that the Lord may prove what is really of himself to you. And then, at the revelation of his glory, there will be no tears on your part except the tears of joy that you're there. It will be, you will rejoice with exceeding joy that in the whirlwind he did something. In the storm he did something in your life. He made real his word in me. I could give you many other examples from my own experience and from others um, about how the word of the Lord, which we believe and we know is of God, uh, as it were, given to us by the Spirit of God, <clears throat> yet somehow it's not in us. When the Lord makes his word real to you, it becomes yours in a way that is eternal. It's somehow, it's yours. I can't explain what I'm saying really. Um, it's yours. It's yours in the way, it's not just in the book. It's not just absolute truth. It's yours. It's actually become flesh and blood. But never through sunshine. Always through the whirlwind and through the storm. Uh, then I uh, take you in the same letter of Peter to the chapter 1 which we have read uh, uh, together. Um, uh, in the old King James, uh, it's um, the trial of your faith being more precious than a gold that perishes may be found unto glory and honor and praise at the coming of the Messiah. You know, this is is quite amazing to me because. Uh, uh, the word translated in the old version in English trial is not a good word when you have a trial you are seeking to find out if what if it's true or not true uh, the trying if you say the trying of your faith it is, well, is it there or is it not there? Do you have living faith or do you not have living faith? Do you understand? My version, which is the American Standard Version, aren't you amazed that I use the American Standard Version of 1901? But it so happens that that translation had more believers in the, those who were the translators than any other version in English other than, of course, the one-man version, which is Darby. But, um... The interesting fact is this. My version says the proof of your faith. But that is not, that is also misleading. It is the proving of your faith. Let me read it again. It goes like this. That the proving of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is proved by fire, may be found unto praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The proving of your faith. The Lord never puts you a, into a storm if he knows there is not living faith there. 
In other words, if your faith is so weak, he will not put you into the storm. He will wait till at least you've grown a little more. Now listen, I will say something about it in one moment, but Peter was speaking out of his experience. Because when the Lord Jesus spoke to him, he said about his what was going to happen, his fall, we might say, uh, he, he said uh, to him, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. I would have thought three denials with oaths was a pretty clear indication of the failure of faith. Actually, it was the failure of academic faith. But the real faith, which was the gift of God, was actually under the surface. And the Lord Jesus knew. He said, I have prayed that your God-given faith, I am putting it in my own words, may not fail. It didn't. One look from the Lord Jesus. It was all that was required. And Peter wept his way back to the Lord. It is very, very interesting, this, this thing, the proving of your faith. The Lord is not sort of putting you into a storm so that you're blown to pieces. He puts you into a storm to blow away what is not of himself. Second-hand Christianity. Third-hand Christianity. Fourth-hand Christianity. It's deadly. The Lord is only interested in original Christianity. In other words, he is only interested in what has been produced in your life by his spirit. Everything else, the storm, will blow away. Whirlwind and storm. The wonderful thing is that if there is somewhere in your life that which is the work of the spirit of God, that kind of faith will survive. The Lord has proved it. He's actually proved it in the storm. He's lost everything else, but not what is truly of himself. Now the Lord's got you where you ought to have been from the beginning. <laughs> He's now got you on a basis of reality. It is He is now the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Um, the end of the storm is that you have something more valuable, more pure than gold. It's come through the storm. Then again, I could turn you to yet another scripture, which is in 2 Corinthians, the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, and uh, chapter 1. I will read uh, from verse uh, 8. 
For we would not have you ignorant, brothers, concerning our affliction which befell us in Asia, that we were weighed down exceedingly beyond our power, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Yea, we ourselves have had the sentence of death within ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raiseth the dead, who delivered us out of so great a death, and will deliver, on whom we have set our hope, that he will also still deliver us. Here was a storm. These men were servants of God. They were actually fulfilling their calling. They were traveling, I imagine, where they didn't want to be. Uh, it would have been much easier, I imagine, to have uh, stayed in a much more comfortable place. But here they were, and you would think the Lord would shine out of a clear sky upon them. You would think that the Lord would uh, would do something very special with them. Instead, we hear, we, we, we despaired of, of our life. He says in verse, uh, uh, verse 8, we would not have you ignorant brethren concerning our affliction. We were weighed down exceedingly, he says, beyond our power. Now the Lord doesn't surely do that. Does he really weigh us down beyond our power? Actually, Paul was, if we believe the only account we have of his, his, uh, size and shape. He was uh, red-haired and uh, short. In fact, the record, the only record we have says he was bow-legged. But he was a bum. I mean, those of you who know anything about temperament, he was a choleric. From beginning to end, he was a tank. He, once he got something, he went right through. And the Lord knew it and thought, oh, this man, once he gets going, he'll do a whole lot himself. So every now and again, this faithful man who had lost really everything and laid down his life, the Lord had to say, a storm. We, we're going to have to have the whirlwind come on him. The only thing that will uh, uh, preserve him and deliver him from his own power, his own energy, his own talents, his own brain. Way down exceeding, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death within ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves. But in God, we raise it. Dear brothers and sisters, all of God's work begins with resurrection. It's all, uh, if you know what I mean, on the other side of the grave. And that's something that the natural man cannot get to naturally. In other words, if you have to minister in your own power with your own talents you have to be on the other side of the cross do you understand what I mean? <laughs> so the Lord says he has a way of being with this do you want to serve the Lord? 
If you're a housewife, do you really want to serve the Lord? Do you want your family to be an expression of the Lord Jesus? A home where the Lord Jesus is at home? Those of you who are businessmen, do you really want to have a testimony in business? It's not easy to have a testimony. Do you really want to have a testimony in business? Do you really want the Lord to be seen in your life in business? You want to be a, a, a witness to Him in your business? Those of us who are called um, uh, to the ministry in one way or another, uh, how can we really speak the word of God? The church is cluttered with people who speak the word of God, but there's no power. Nothing ever happened. It's up here. Not here. I remember a brother saying to me, I went to Bible college or theological seminary for five years. I know, I think it was four years. Four years is enough. It's enough, unfortunately, to kill living faith. But it doesn't kill the person, unfortunately. Now that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, I have been, we, we, myself, my co-workers, we've been called by the Lord. And, and something hit us. Beyond our power, that's saying something to the Apostle Paul. Beyond our power, insomuch that we despaired of life itself. But he says we had the sentence of death within ourselves. So that's what the Lord has done. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised us the dead. In other words, if all the work of the Lord is on the other side of the grave, if you understand what I mean, begins with resurrection power, resurrection life, then uh, we have to um, we have to uh, not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Then it is a walk of faith, and then it becomes something uh, alive. That that uh, it may be death in you because you have the sentence of death within yourself, but those who hear, it's all life. Does it make sense? And then, you can comfort people. You can encourage people with the comfort you yourself have received when you were pressed beyond measure. It's very easy to say to God's people, um, try to encourage them, try to comfort them, but when you have not been in a situation that, that this person may be in, how can you come to them? But when you have been in that kind of situation where everything seems to be in the hands of the enemy himself, and then the Spirit of God encouraged you in it, when the Spirit of God comforted you, because if you read in the earlier verses, you will see it is the God of all. Then he comes to you and now you have something to give those who are in trouble. 
in the way that the Lord has spoken to you, and the way the Lord has made his word live to you, in encouraging you, in comforting you, in strengthening you, in correcting you, you can now pass on to others. One person can speak words, and another person the same words, and they live in another person. What is the difference? One person is speaking out of theology, and the other person is speaking out of experience. The proving of your faith. And then a second thing I would just like to touch on, I've already said a little about it, is what we have in Luke 22. What Peter wrote about the proving of your faith in his first letter came out of experience. He actually knew from his own experience what the proving of faith really was. Peter was so special. I've often heard Peter, if you know what I mean, run down uh, in the pulpit. You know, the kind of thing he's heard again and again. Oh, this man, arrogant, impetuous, always putting his foot in it. As we say, opening his mouth and putting his foot in it. You know, this man... Actually, if you look carefully at the record, you will discover all the others felt exactly the same, that Peter was the one who was the spokesman. He always, he had no fear. Peter was a rugged kind of person. Had no fear, whereas the others kept their big mouths shut and never got blamed. You know this, we see it all in Christian work. There's someone who says something out straight out and the others feel it, but when it comes to the crunch, they all sew, that, sew up their mouths and let brother so-and-so get all the trouble. The fact of the matter is, Peter was a very straightforward, a very honest man, but he also had um, an idea that he could do it. It was as simple as that. He had no idea that his Christianity, uh, if you know what I'm talking about, his discipleship, um, was self-manufactured. It was the product of his own nature. He heard the Lord, and then he sort of, um, uh, 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 he took it into himself and as it were he made himself what he felt he ought to be after all this was the man who said thou art the Messiah the son of the living God and Jesus said Simon Bar Jonah that's not been uh, that's not something that's you that's been revealed to you by my father who is in heaven I mean there were some very good things about him he did follow the Lord uh, he didn't seem to have a very good home life because you'll remember on one occasion he was so excited when the Lord said about uh, leaving father and mother and husband and wife you know and, and following him and he said oh well this sounds something good you remember that? it's in the word 
And you know that they always were saying they wouldn't give them like little children, tell me. Take them out. Very interesting little sideline. Yeah, well, by, by the way. Um, Peter was a, Peter actually had a self-manufactured Christianity and a self-manufactured Christian service. Uh, there's no doubt about his loyalty. There's no doubt about his aims. No doubt about his determination to follow the Lord. But it wasn't the Lord. Now you might say, oh, I don't understand what he's talking about. Oh, you will. When the tornado hits you, as it will, if you go on with the Lord, you will understand what I'm talking about. Because in that moment that Peter said, I am ready to go to prison with you and to die with you, Jesus said, before the cock crow once, this morning, this day, you will have denied me. Now Peter must have been dumbstruck. How could the Lord misjudge me in such a way? That's such absolute nonsense. I mean what I say. And then the Lord said to him, Listen, Simon, Simon, Satan has obtained you by request. How could he be a child of God and Satan obtained him by request? You mean that, thank God, Satan couldn't just take him. He had to get permission from God. But Peter, by speaking too quickly, had exposed himself. And Satan had gone to God, believe it or believe it not, and said to the Father, you let me have it. And the father, C.T. Studd said, the devil was a great servant of God. Because every time the Lord wanted to do something, he uses the devil sometimes to do it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So he said, the father said, you do it. And Satan did it. Here is the interesting thing. Satan got the chaff, and God got the wind. Satan was the agent, but he divided the chaff from the the real grain. So much of our Christian life and Christian service is actually so much chaff, but we don't know it. Buried within it, deep within it, is the real thing. But when the storm comes, the chaff is blown away and the wheat remains. And so, to me, it is amazing. Why does Satan do this when he knows every single time he gets the chaff and God gets the wheat? It says something for the pride and arrogance of Satan that he honestly believes that he could really uh, frustrate the work of God. Anyway, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Peter's whole Christian life collapsed in a single moment of time. Can you believe it? That this man who said, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, denied his Lord three times. The other Gospels say with oaths. 
There could have not been anything more devastating than what happened to Peter that night. Here was this great, rugged, masculine type, a kind of spiritual Schwarzenegger. And, uh, and, uh, and a little servant girl comes, probably just in her mid-teens. And you're, you're one of them. And poof! Instantly. It's amazing what women can do to men. It is amazing. I mean it. I mean that little painted woman with her nails, beautifully done, brilliantly scarlet, and her eyes with mascara, tiny little thing that the wind could almost blow away. Her name was Jezebel. And all she had to do was write a little note and send it to Elijah, and the man fled for his life. This great rugged man, you've only got to see the country in which Elijah lives to know the man was an incredible man. He he fled for his life. You remember the story, don't you, all of you? You remember how the Lord didn't try to stop him. Not once did the Lord try to stop him. In fact, the Lord said to a couple of angels, get down there, cook his breakfast. He, he, he says he doesn't want to live. And the Lord helped him go in the wrong way. And then, you know you sleep in our part of the world during the day. Some, some folks, all night and all day. But I mean, uh, uh, he, 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 they he was sleeping under a juniper tree. And, and, and so, so the angel actually cooked his breakfast and cooked his supper. And in the strength of that food, he went 40 days and 40 nights. It's an unbelievable story, isn't it? And the Lord never once tried to, he said, if I imagine the Lord speaking that, if he would have said, don't try and stop him. Note, he is so churned up and so thick, the thing is, we'll get him the other end. And when he finally got to the very southern tip of the Sinai, then the Lord met him. Remember? What are you doing here, Elijah? Marvellous, isn't it? And it was a little woman that sent him on his journey in the wrong direction. Who could believe such a thing? This man who had seen 400 prophets about on the Mount Carmel had the great contest with them and saw such a triumph before the whole people of Israel. Before this one little painted wisp of a woman, he fled for his life. Well, same with Peter. This little girl, I don't think she would have had painted nails or mascara or anything like that. Just a dear little girl in and all she had to say was, you're one of them. And the man collapsed. And then again, some servant, I don't know who he was, or some fellow came and said also. And then another one, three times he said it. And then, as he was denying the Lord, the third time the cock crew. And instantly, into Peter's heart, came the words of the Lord Jesus. And it said something remarkable that Jesus just did. He didn't need to say anything. 
He never spoke a word. He just looked. And when Peter's eyes and the Lord's eyes met together, suddenly Peter realized. Judas wept himself into suicide. But Peter wept himself back to the Lord. You know him as our service for God. It is a sad thing if we don't have a whirlwind to the storm. Because then we go on with our natural energy, with our academic understanding, and with everything else, and it's not really the Lord, and we ourselves are deceived. I imagine Peter for the rest of his life, thank God for the proving of his faith. But deeper than his denial was a God-given thing. And when this storm came, this whirlwind hit him, it blew everything in his life away and left him with only what God had given living faith. Now he was on another level, on another basis from now. Anyway, I mention it all because I think it is so uh, tremendous. Um, and then I must finish. Today I can sleep at well. Um, uh, did you notice uh, that scripture in Mark that we read together? It, interestingly, there is another story. I, I, I give both of them because they're so interesting. We only read one of them. In Mark 4. Both the stories, of course, liberals tell us, they're the same story that got walked. And some foolish scribe shoved them in together. Uh, I don't think so at all. The first story, you have a boat, you have the disciples, you have Jesus, and you have a storm. And the second story, you have a boat, and disciples, and Jesus, not in the boat this time, and a storm. In that first instance, you remember Jesus got into the boat and went fast asleep. And we are often told that this is his humanity. See, he was a human being, just like us. He was weary. I do not believe it. I, I had no doubt about the humanity of the Lord Jesus. No doubt that he was subject like we are to weariness and other things. But I cannot accept that he did not wake up in a storm. I believe he sat there with his eyes closed. And don't say that this doesn't happen, because I remember Mr. Spark. I remember on one or two occasions when he didn't want to see a visitor, and I was in the room, he shut his eyes and said, don't say anything. And they would throw his I didn't dare say yes, but I sort of <laughs> just looked. And out they went. And then his one eye would open. <laughs> so I, I believe that the Lord, I'm not saying he's being deceitful, but what I, I believe is that he, 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 he was doing something as a, a, a means of instruction. He looked as if he was fast asleep. 
And the dear old disciples said, oh, you're so tired. When this storm hit the boat, like, by the way, those of you who've been to Israel will have seen the Lake of Galilee. And you will always, I get questioned again and again, that the people who've been there say, oh, it's so peaceful. How come there could be storms where boats sank? But the thing that hits the Galilee are called whip winds. Like a whirlwind. Comes down the hill, the mountain, and hits the sea and stirs it into a great white whirlpool. And, uh, <clears throat> Jesus was in the boat, he was asleep. The disciples said, oh, he's poor, he's really tired. Don't disturb him. And they bailed out the water and out the water. I don't know who it was who finally got sort of tired of the whole thing. We've got to tell him. I mean, maybe he can do something. We're going to go down. And so they went and shook him and said, don't you care? We're about to go down. And the Lord got up and he saw the panic-stricken disciples went to the prow, I suppose, of the boat, and he said, Be still! Shh! And instantly the storm stopped. Of course, the disciples were thrilled. This is absolutely wonderful. Who is he that he can speak a word, not just a long thing, but just a word, and the whole thing is over? It's so wonderful in our lives when the Lord steps in in the storm and stops it. Because the Lord is so sensitive and so thoughtful to his children that when we start to panic, he knows there's no way we're going to learn anything. And so he he says, and it's gone. And then we say, oh, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. You've learned something. You've learned how great the Lord is, how authoritative the Lord is. How he can stop a storm in an instant. You've learned something, but you haven't learned enough. Now I know some people think I'm a her- heretic on this matter, but I, I have suspected for many, many years that the second story is the same thing, but th- th- not the same time. I mean, that it's another account, but uh, it's another incident on the sea. But this time Jesus said, well, they didn't learn the last time. This time, I'm not getting in the boat. They're not going to get me another time like this. And so he stayed up and went up and said, I'm going to pray. And they all got into the boat without the Lord. He said, I'll meet you on the other side. Well, they knew that he had his own ways of doing things. How he was going to go right round and meet from the other side, I suppose they might have thought, how's he going to do it? But they'd been with him long enough to know that if he said he was going to meet them on the other side, somehow, miraculously, he'd be there. And then a huge storm blew up. And uh, in the other gospel, it tells us that uh, they were all so afraid because suddenly they saw a figure moving in the spray and the huge wind and the great waves, and they were rowing so hard against the wind, and uh, uh, they thought it was a ghost. Do you know we're all very superstitious when it comes to this? They thought, it's a sign. It's a sign. Someone's come from the underworld. We're all going down. But Peter, so one of the, the other Gospels says, said, no, I think it's Jesus. 
And he called out in the war of the storm. He called out, Jesus, is it you? And back through the storm came the voice of Jesus. Yes, it's me. Then Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. And then Peter got over the side of the ship, put his feet down on the water, and started walking. He never once thought to himself, what am I doing? He'd never been to Bible school to learn how to walk on water. It's incredible. He began to do the impossible. Of course, some of our Bible critics, including some theologians, they tell us, as I heard it with my own ears from one of them, that there are potholes in these shelves on the Lake of Galilee. And the, uh, uh, Peter was actually walking in shallow water. And when he fell, he fell into a pothole. And Jesus sort of yanked him up. I mean, it's really, silly, really, frankly. How is the boat going down in such shallow water? I mean, they don't think, you know. It's uh, uh, incredible. It's like, they, it's like uh, one of these terribly, uh, you know, the limitation of intelligence is incredible. <laughs> Only living faith releases you from the bondage of intelligence. And I mean, the interesting thing really is that I heard another one who said, um, um, well, he said, uh, of course, Elijah was on the Mount Carmel and of course the, 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 the Parkham. And he said, we know that there are benzene wells on Mount Carmel. He said he was clever. That water that he was pouring into the trench was water at all. It was benzene. And some of these students also are. And when he finished in question time, I was only a kid then. Uh, I mean... Well, I, you know what I mean by kids. Um, uh, I, I said, uh, excuse me, where did the fire come from? Fire, he said. A fire? I said, you know, the, the fire that came down, because he'd said about, he, he said, you've never seen water uh, being a uh, fire licking up water? Benzene. He said, it licks it up. Well, I said, where did the fire come from? Fire, fire, he said. As if he'd never thought about it. And I said, maybe it was the cigarette that Elijah was smoking. <laughs> it's so stupid. These, these sort of wonderful answers to miracles are so stupid that the only way you can answer them is by that kind of comment. Now, let me just say something. I believe Jesus did not get into that. When Jesus said, come, Peter saw the Lord, Peter heard the Lord, and he did the impossible. He walked on a wind-whipped sea. He, the, the, the wind was so colossal, so noisy, that it is amazing to be somewhere, as he walked on the water, a wave came up and he couldn't see the Lord. And in that moment he thought, 
What am I doing? I'm walking on water. Uh, am I dreaming? Is this real? And in that moment he began to say. And Jesus said to him, why did you doubt? Now listen, what is the lesson? The lesson is this. To have the Lord stop a storm in your life is wonderful. It leaves you with the, with an understanding of his authority, of his greatness, of his power. It doesn't do anything to you. But when you walk on a storm-tossed sea and learn how to walk on a storm-tossed sea, this is another thing altogether. You will never again be afraid of a storm. You have learned how with the Lord Jesus, through living faith, that comes by seeing him, hearing him, and obeying him, you have learned you can walk through a storm tossed sea. It cannot destroy you. That I say is a great lesson. And out of that will come so much for every one of us if we learn this thing. You will have a knowledge of the Lord you could not get in a Bible school or in a Bible study. You have an experience of the Lord now, a knowledge of the Lord that is absolutely uh, real, absolutely direct. It doesn't mean that you will not sometimes uh, fear, but you know that somewhere in the storm there is the Lord. And the Lord is saying to you, come, follow me. Even in the storm. You understand? May the Lord help us and bless us. And may we uh, learn in a way that we have never learned before. That his way, the way of the Lord, is in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Shall we pray? Lord, we all need to learn lessons from you, but Lord, our prayer this morning is that you will make this living reality in every one of our lives. Help us, Lord. We don't ask for any experience that will take us through a kind of destruction. But Lord, you know us. And you know when the time has come that something has to be done to divide the chaff from the wheat. And beloved Lord, our prayer is that we may learn how to trust you, how to follow you, and how to do the impossible. Hear us then, O Lord, and make these little times we've had together a very real meeting with yourself. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope that this message will encourage you in our current whirlwind. Stay tuned for next week's episode 
where we will hear Lance share his personal testimony. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.